This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Eno Sarah Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Now, we don't have a set day yet for the Eno Sarah Show, but you guys are going on vacation at the end of the week? Yeah, we're heading up to Eureka to do a little mini vacation there. So, nice. We're going to Redwood National Forest. Kids want to see some. They they actually have this scratch off thing where they can scratch off all the national forests, and so they like we want to go to all these and scratch them all off. It's like turned into a Pokemon collecting thing or something. It's a, and it's educational. Well, I'm, and I'm totally cool with it. I'm like, you want to go to more national forests? Let's go. Yeah, that does not hurt. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we just had Matt Olson on, and I'm not sure if their PR guy was in love with my question, <laughs> but it's something that I I did for Matt Chapman, and Matt Chapman thanked me because. You guys came out in the athletic. Talk about how Matt Chapman turned down a hundred and fifty million dollar deal, and Ace fans want to know: Were you offered that? Because we had Giambi on, Jason Giambi, probably three years ago, and I asked him the question about that infamous ninety million dollar deal that was offered. And later he had signed with New York for what was it, one twenty four or something like that. And Giambi goes, "Whoa, I was never on. There was nothing technically ever offered wow. to me." He said there might have been trial. Arn Tellum was his agent at the time. There might have been the trial balloon right. or talk between agent, whatever. But there was never an official, hey, here's the offer. Right. So I asked Chapman about that. He thanked me that he was able to, like, have his piece about it. So I want to give Olsen the same thing. And I don't think that's a tough question. That's a no. legitimate question. And I've, and I've asked Billy Bean, uh, why don't you do more of this? Because we have the Braves in town, and the Braves have now signed, I don't know, six guys to, hey. for 10 years. They've signed Austin Riley, Michael Harris, Ozzy Albies, Ronald Acuna Jr., all these guys to long-term deals. And the way that that works is you do get a little bit of a discount as the team because what you're doing is you're telling a kid, you know, here's eight years. You know, <laughs> like you're going to be signed for eight years. Here's yeah. a big, big bunch of money. Um, you know, a guy like Juan Soto says, no, 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 I'm going year to year and I'm going to get the big pie in the sky at the end. But, uh, you know, a lot of kids take the deal. And um, the reason that it works for uh, teams is if you do five of them and one doesn't work out, the other four pay for that fifth one over and over again. Uh, so the Astros, the Rays, the Braves, they've all tried to do this. Um, it hasn't always worked out. There's a guy named John Singleton. Uh, who was an, a, a, a first baseman for the Astros, got like $50 million, didn't really play for them much. Uh, guy for the Phillies, um, I forget his name, he's like an infielder. He signed, Kingery, he signed a deal, didn't work out. But, you know, uh, it do, it's fine if you do a lot of them. It, 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 you know, the ones that work out are, that make you a lot of money as a team or, you know, a surplus value as a team. Billy Bean told me, and I don't know, you know, if this is if true or not, but... I can understand it. He says, we can't be wrong. 
Like, just at the level of payroll that we have, we can't sign three or four of these guys and be wrong. Like, we can't afford to be wrong. So maybe that's why he hasn't offered these, these big deals to some of these younger kids to try and lock them up. Well, also, and not to get too technical, but also from an accounting standpoint, if I know, and it's like with the Julio Rodriguez contract that I love so much, just the base of it, for X amount of years, they know exactly what they pay the player and can budget that year after year after year. It's a manageable number. It's no, this is a business, so it's no different than what we do in the restaurant business or any other. There's, a, there's, there's expenses. Fixed costs. You need and to know if, what yeah, the fixed costs are. If I know what this cost is, I can budget that in every year and be far more comfortable than doing arbitration and doing those different things. So, as you said, I offer this kid generational wealth now, but it's really manageable wealth for me as a team. Mm -hmm. So if Billy Bean says it, we'll all wink and go, oh, you're a genius, Billy. I don't know if I'm buying it. I, I get what he's saying, and it's easy. It's easier for them to run their model by giving answers like that. I think we could afford that. I do believe so. But um, everybody does their business but differently. What, but let's say you could only afford to do it. Uh, I think another part of it is you can only afford to do it like once or twice. Then if you're wrong, then you only then you're you're not you don't have that third or fourth guy that's paying for it. You know what I mean? Like that you the, the costs of being wrong are higher if you can only do it with one or two. So the Braves did it with five, right? So if Riley doesn't work out, they give him two hundred twelve million dollars. If Riley doesn't work out, you're gonna say, oh, that's terrible. However, they're getting so much surplus off of Cunha and Albies and Michael Harris that like they'd be like, eh, whatever. I I. I I know this isn't huge money, but I've I've watched Ben Sheets come out of nowhere for ten million. I've watched Billy Butler; no one else wanted him, and I saw three years, thirty million. Donaldson would have signed that in a second. So it's like interesting when you want to pay, when you want to don't, when you. But I mean, yeah. it, it's that is that's part of the problem with our game in baseball is when you have salary caps. Everybody is in this range that they can only spend so much, but they have to do spend so much. So everybody is kind of in a range, and it really helps those sports. And I wish we really could sit down a lot of the other players and say, listen, a salary cap would cap the stars, but the rest of you would make so much more money <laughs> if they did that. I mean, because a salary cap comes with a salary floor. Correct. And that's why they've never been able to negotiate a salary floor. I don't know that I uh, I think that it, it's better with the salary cap uh, idea. Um, that's It takes a lot of advanced modeling and thinking. But um, I do know that if they could get a, a floor without a cap, it would be much better for players. Well, and with the one thing that you look at all the time is you go, wait a minute. The NFL and, Major League, the NFL and the NBA have passed Major League Baseball. They both got it. Well, it took could, a lot of time to get it, took a lot of pain, took a lot of heartache. They got a lot of guys in the NFL. They did it. There's a model that could work. There's a, a couple but, things. But that as long as Scott Boris and those power players don't yeah. want that, that's your problem. Well, also, I just there's a, a different level of trust between maybe uh, between uh, players and ownership in diff different sports. Uh, so, for example, in baseball, I think that they don't ever trust that the owners would report all the, their all their income, because the the whole basis of a salary cap and salary floor is like we get 50% of what you make. And I think in baseball, they're like, well, you guys had BAM and you spun it off and uh, you made a bunch of money off of that and you claimed it had nothing to do with us, and so you, that wasn't our money. 
you know, you do this, you do, you do the real estate deals and you make a bunch of money and it has something to do with us, but you say it's not our money, you know? So there's a lot of distrust there. And then the last thing I guess is the, the salary cap, the, the, the luxury tax as it is now is a de facto cap. Yes. So they should be able to figure out to get a floor in there. If there is a de facto cap, maybe a de facto floor, something that's I'm all in floor. on the floor. I would love a soft floor. I would love a hard floor. <laughs> right? I want I want a beautiful, I'm talking hardwood, <laughs> solid, that every so many years you got to wax it to shine it up. I want a hardwood, solid floor. Uh, you, you said something to Cody, and, and one, of the, one of the main reasons – we, we love this idea about this partnership. It's just you bring stuff that makes us think, and we're going to do that every single week. And about the Padres, and they haven't had the, the boom that they thought they were going to get when they made all these deals, and you came up with this for us about how the Padres, they don't swing at pitches out of the strike zone, which you did an article on, said that's great for teams. Yes, good job. But then they don't swing at pitches inside the strike zone. And then I'm wondering, well, when do they swing? Because you do have to hit the ball at some point. So it turns out adding uh, Juan Soto, the biggest non-swinger in baseball, uh, to Trent Grisham, maybe maybe the second biggest non-swinger in baseball, makes you have a lineup that's super passive. So, yes, the Padres are number one in not swinging at balls and number 30 in swinging at strikes. And I think it actually has been a problem for them because – it's just easier to game plan as a pitcher. You just know they're not swinging. So you can play more <laughs> games with sort of ball to strike pitches, you know? Like, you, got, you throw them more front door stuff because they're not going to swing, you know? And, oh, boom, called strike. Let's go, you know? I think I in the last game they had a pitcher debut who had a really good fastball and not really good secondaries. And uh, he was throwing fastballs in two-strike counts, and their sort of passive, you know, setup led to a bunch of strikeouts. So... Uh, I think there is, you know, I did write the piece saying, like, being patient is, is really good for you. Uh, but there is always a, there's always a, you know, a, a perfect way to do it, like a sort of a perfect yeah. balance. You know, if you're not swinging the balls in the strike zone, you're going to get a lot of called strike threes. All right, here's a good question. So, like, Matt Olson just had to leave us for a hitter's meeting. They have pitcher's meetings. And Scott Emerson is going over this with the, with the catchers, the pitchers. If you're you're going up against the Padres in a series and you got all these notes and it's like, okay, how do we tack these guys? Well, they don't swing at anything. Like like what what's, what what is this meeting like? Well, they don't swing here, they don't do this, you know, I you know, you got the I mean, does anybody have hot zones if no one's swinging? I mean, yeah, Machado's got some hot zones, yeah, obviously. Yeah, Machado is the one you want to watch out for. You, 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 you stay out of the zone. He's from, going hacking. Yeah, you stay out of the zone for Machado, and then for everybody else, you fill up the zone, and you probably fill up the zone with breaking balls. I mean, I think that's a big part of why the league is a breaking ball league now and why breaking ball command is one of the most important aspects that you can get in a pitcher. Um, and uh, Because you can't get keyholed into having to throw a strike with a fastball. You know, then the hitter's ready. You know, but if you can throw a, a slider in the zone for a strike, then you've got two options for throwing inside the zone. So you got all these patient hitters. You throw a fast, you throw a slider in the zone. They see slider, they say, okay, I'm not going to swing. Slider in the zone, call strike. You know, these things really happen over time, where we start changing and conditioning our athletes. You know, there was a time where they didn't want to talk about it here, but it was real. 
Like, in the minor leagues with the A's, you were basically told you do not swing 3-0. Yep. You're teaching more passive, more, you know, or I should say. They even had some lower-level stuff where it was like you don't swing until you get to strike two. So I want to say you think you're teaching patience, but you're teaching people to be passive and not pull the trigger. Essentially, in my opinion, really hurt Jack Cust in his baseball career. Mm. He just got to a point where he couldn't pull the trigger anymore. He had It was almost like the yips in his head about swinging. Yeah. You know, I, I think that sometimes having a, uh, a, a hitting coach that preaches aggressiveness sit on top of an organization that develops patience is a good way to do it because these guys come up with good natural patience and then their hitting coach says, when you see a strike, hunt it. And now we've trained you to see what a strike is, to know what a strike is. So now hunt. You know, you got to the big leagues, you developed your sense of like where where are the ducks, where are the you know, like where are the good pitches, right? And now you're in the big leagues. Hunt. So I put you in the blind. Yeah, the I put hunting you in the blind. blind. I figured it out where I didn't the, give you a gun, but you had like you had a bushnell <laughs> and I could find them and see how far they are. Now you get a gun. Now but you're that's in the major the leagues. But, hunt. But you want me to now fire the gun, and I haven't fired the gun. Yeah, that's true. That's so how true. am I going to be good at shooting the duck? Yeah. And for you people that are against duck hunting, I, I apologize. I am not a hunter. I don't own a gun. But you understand the analogy. Like, I'm trying to teach you now to fire the gun. No, but this, you've is, been- this is this is a, the kind of thing that people are debating in player development all around baseball. Do, do wins in the minor leagues matter? That's, that's one question that people don't all have the same answer to. Do wins in the minor leagues matter? You didn't teach them how to win. You didn't care. You said it didn't matter. Wins in the minor league matter a little. I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't say that they matter a lot. Everyone's working on stuff, but they matter a little. And, and it's really, I think, easier for us to go to other sports for this. That the minor league system for the NBA and for college. I mean, for for the NBA and for the NFL is college sports. And they have to win. They winning, it's all about winning. Win. Yeah. So it's like when I get a, I get a player, a difference maker, and it's usually the guys that touch the ball, uh-huh. right? It's your quarterbacks, it's your point guard, it's Steph Curry shooting the basketball. The fact that Steph Curry has made and done all this crazy stuff at Davidson, he's learned how to do it and bring it to the NBA versus minor league baseball, you'd say, I don't care if his team never made the tournament never won a thing mm-hmm. i'm going to teach him to win when he gets here and and, and and then you do these weird things in the minor leagues where you're like don't swing until two strikes don't swing don't swing on 3-0 uh uh they have uh, there's all these things like you have to throw 10 change-ups today you know you know like i've heard pitchers be like i threw 10 change-ups in a row and then i got to the rest of my start <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff that happens in the minor leagues because you're you're focusing on developing you're telling them do this do this do this it's it's sort of ancillary to winning it'll make you better at winning in the future but it's not about winning tonight and some teams don't even prepare their players for the game in the same way that they you here they got a hitters advance meeting they're talking about charts they've got everything the hitter hitting coach is talking to them about who they're going to face tonight they might even do vr or or uh, virtual reality virtual reality or they might they might have the eye pitch which is a great pitching machine mimic the pitcher tonight and and turn it up you know they're doing all these things to win there are some organizations that are still not doing any of that for their minor leaguers so the first time they ever see a heat map for the opposing starting pitcher is in the big leagues because they're not caring about winning those games. So and, you don't then, need to prepare them the same and way. And then I'm supposed to take a guy who's never used virtual reality 
it'd be like taking us older guys and putting us in a now a, a newer <laughs> arcade and going, here's a bunch of quarters, kids. Go figure it out. We'd be like, this isn't like Pac-Man that we played when we were kids. Like, you want someone to use technology and, and to use then it. you have to have it all the way up. Put it this way. You want them to use it expertly, yeah. and they've never used it before. Right. And now you want them to use it here at the big league level? Yeah. That makes sense. Kids, certain kids that come up through certain organizations get to the big leagues and they're like, okay, yeah, yep, that, that, that. And they even can start to say, no, ah, that doesn't work for me. VR doesn't work for me. But these other things do, and I know what they do, and I've figured it out. And then there are other kids who come up through other organizations who are like, what, what is this thing? What's that thing? What's that thing that's Rapsodo? <laughs> well, and, and, and there's so much, too, of... I don't want to say doesn't matter, but we always find it's there's a lot of failure mentality. Uh, we don't care about the we don't care about we don't care about pitchers wins. We don't care about winning. We don't care about like like there's so much of this stuff that's in the sport. It's the process. And, and, and We're rebuilding. It makes me I think golf is a great comparison because what you have in golf is you have a lot of professional golfers who are range warriors, right? They have track man, they have Golf started all this well before baseball oh, with like the technology. a little bit, just like yes. All they do is sit, it up. They all they do is they look because my brother started testing for Titleist in the early nineties, uh-huh. well before baseball because they were they were There's selling clubs and balls. From golf, yeah. golf, golf, and baseball when is very similar. But these guys learn on the range how to just hammer it and spin it and do all this stuff. But then you've got to go actually play the game of golf, which now is a lot of short game. Putting, pitching, chipping, out of the sand. It's what not, do I what do I do here? The strategy of it too. Yeah, I the mean, winning. You're not you're not hitting into this vast range of nothing. I'm now hitting. There's trees. There's water. Yeah, you got to yeah. play the sport. And I think we're into this now so much where we're a launch angle. Launch. I'm pointing actually. I'm pointing towards the launch angle at the plate as they're taking BP now. Behind me, the mounds. We're talking about spin rates and everything. Well, at some point when you get out on the mound, you just have to get somebody out. Yeah, so the, the, I think this is an interesting segue also to something else we're going to talk about, which is uh, the, the, the way that the, the, the A's are going around building this pitching staff, right? And, uh, you know, out there on the market, you know, I have a Stuff Plus number. Out there on the market, Stuff Plus, there are a lot of teams that have Stuff Plus. It's expensive to buy Stuff. If you want to get stuff in. Well, with inflation, too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's expensive. Yeah, <laughs> stuff is not cheap. So uh, here are some pitchers uh, in the starting rotation for uh, the A's. Cole Irvin has zero pitches that are above average by Stuff Plus. Zero. He has four pitches that are above average by locations, by command. Blackburn has one pitch that's above average by Stuff Plus, the cutter. He has zero other pitches that are above average by Stuff Plus. He has five pitches that are above average by location. J.P. Sears has zero pitches that are above average by, lo- by Stuff Plus. He has two that he can locate uh, very well. So uh, I think that's one sort of way that they've gone with their pitchers. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there's some interesting aspects of that to Adrian Martinez. I think his changeup is pretty plus. He has good command of the other pitches. So that's one aspect. And then you got newcomer, Ken Waldachuk, and he's the opposite, right? He's a Stuff Plus guy? Yes, he is. By the way, you are such a journalist. You should see this chicken scratch paper. <laughs> this is what writers do. They sit there and they write everything. They'll listen to the managers and they write this. Stuff. No one can read it but them. <laughs> so Waldachuk is totally different. He's got three pitches that are above average by Stuff Plus and zero that are above average by location. So, 
you know, if you are the, the, the A's, like sometimes you just have to be trying to find guys. If you have above average stuff plus and above average location on three pitches, then maybe the other team's not trading you that guy. Well, it sounds like what you mentioned, the first three guys for the A's, when we talk Sears, Cole Irvin, and Blackburn, they're winning because of control. Yes, and, and keeping hitters on their back foot and just I have five, four pitches I can command. You don't know which one's going to be. I can put them in different parts. None of them if I, none of them are going to show up on Pitching Ninja probably. You <laughs> no, know? Yeah, no. But, uh, but I can put them where I need to put them. You pitching, know? Pinch, pitching Ninja, friend of the program. Yeah. But Waldachuk's got a combo, and that takes me to where you were, I think it was last week you said this, and I've thought about it all week, is that the Yankees, so there was a great article, I think, that was in The Athletic, it was years ago, that talked about 1998. Essentially, Brian Cashman, even though he had one of the best teams in the history of baseball, knew that his analytics department was nothing. Talk to Billy Bean. Billy Bean helped change the Yankees, unfortunately, <laughs> into being more – into analytics, which now the Yankees have the biggest analytic department. They have more than anybody, they have more employees, more think tank than anybody else. And you mentioned how guys that play for the Yankees, even at the lower level, are trained really well. But they can't all make the big club. Yeah. So if you're able to get some of their guys that at that current point just can't scratch the big club, might be a good idea because they're so well-trained. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, uh, like I just talked to Clark Schmidt uh, for like 20 minutes when he was in town. Uh, and Clark Schmidt is the, the guy they kept, I guess. And Walt Chuck is the guy they traded. Clark Schmidt, um, they developed, he, he was a four-seam guy that had a good curveball. Uh, and they developed uh, using seam-shifted wake and using all the newest uh, advancements in, in technology and in analytics. They developed a really good sinker for him uh, and uh, a sweeping slider. Everyone wants a sweeper. He called it the whirly. So they gave him a whirly. We used to call it, it so for someone like me who was a short armor, I never had the great 12-6 curveball because I didn't have the extension or I didn't have the great extension on the slider, but I could throw the – we called it a slur. It's, it was in between it a slider and a curve. It's the return of the slur. It's a frisbee. Yeah, so the, the, the sweeper, uh, he called it the whirly. So they gave – he came in with this and this with the curveball, and they gave him this and this. And now he's a four-pitch guy with command and velo, and they just coached everything up. And – there's some rumors uh, uh, that the Yankees are internally sort of deciding um, that command is, uh, is something that they maybe have undervalued in the past. And that they look at somebody like Jordan Throwing Montgomery. Throwing well, they, 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 they They've been a very stuff-plus type of organization. Yeah. They've been really stuff-plus. If you think about Luis Severino, uh, a lot of the guys who've come up, it's been more about stuff and I'm going to throw real hard and have a great breaking ball off of that, you know? Uh, but then they had a real success with Jordan Montgomery, and he represents more. I have a lot of pitches, and I have command of them, you know. Um, and so maybe in this case they decided to keep Clark Schmidt because he has better command than Ken Waldachuk. But I would also agree with you that they have a bit of an embarrassment of riches and that uh, Ken Waldachuk has really good upside. I mean, I, I, you know, location plus um, is different than walks. So if you look at Ken Waldachuk's line, you'll see a lot of walks, and they'll say he doesn't have good command. But Location Plus looks at, you know, is he putting him in good locations, even if that's outside the strike zone sometimes? And he's not far from average. He's, there, are way, there are people with way worse command than Ken Waldachuk. I think, I think it's workable, and I think you see good velo, good shapes. I think he's going to be good. 
I mean, if you're living on the edges and you're just not getting the calls, but you're hitting your target, that's pretty good command. And you don't. It's get, one thing you when you're all over the joint. Yeah, he he sails the the four seam a little bit uh, sometimes, but uh, I think I think he's close. I think he's really he's really close to getting it all figured out. So. Well, wouldn't you say also it's very rare that you'll find somebody who struck out a lot of people and didn't walk people. That's true too. Right. I mean, I mean, it's just if you. If if you're if you're one of the old time strikeout guys, there's things that come with that. That's high pitch counts and that's walks. A lot of times it's just not giving in, right? Like it's it's a three two count. I'm still going to throw you that slider off the edge because I think you'll swing at it. Versus down the middle, Broadway hit it. Right. So there's definitely there's definitely people that'll just not, I'm not giving in. I'm just going to throw my pitches and if I walk you, Randy Johnson, man. So when you start to look at the A's, we were talking about this in the post game show the other day about next year. You know, if you need it probably over, let's just call it Perry Manassi and the GM of the Angels said, hey, listen, the average team uses 13 guys a year starting. So I've been going off what he had to say. I'm sure his numbers are better than the research zero that I put into it. So Perry said 13, the average team, I'm going to go with him. Let's just say 10 plus. Is yeah, because ten, you, you use seven pretty bulk. Ten, uh, will, like 10 will probably get to about 40, 50 innings. 13, you know, you'll have three guys that'll do some spot start. Okay, so it's almost like we need to think of like horses. And we have a stable, we have a couple stables, right? In this stable, we've got starters. In this stable, we got bullpen. Probably over here in this stable, the the starter stable, we're gonna need over 10 guys. Yeah. So when I start looking at everybody with the A's and you just started mentioning some of them. And knowing there's some more coming from these trades, the A's could be in in from a starting. I don't know about hitters, but from a from a starting pitcher standpoint, if you need ten or more the next couple seasons, they may be in a good spot. I think so. Uh, I was looking at uh, some of the the names that aren't in the rotation right now necessarily. Adrian Martinez, uh, I think he has a plus changeup. It's a really weird pitch because it moves less than his fastball. Uh, but it has a good velo separation, so it really works. I think uh, he has a six or seven, great. Um, you know, Zach Logue, I think maybe headed long-term towards uh, relieving, but if you can keep him at a two, three-inning level, uh, then you can keep him as your, like a guy who's on the roster, but also your six or seven starter. So I think those are those are good names that you're, you're going seven, eight deep. Um, you know, I, I, I do wish that the A's, and this is a constant refrain, do wish that they invested a little bit more. Uh, in their player development and the, and the data and the tech and then you know the coaching and the, and the minor league level and got a little bit more of a pipeline of their own players a lot of times it seems like they acquire players to play in the big Correct. <laughs> well and that and that we were just talking about the 20 game win streak I mean they were at the forefront at what at one point what happened um, it's I think it's expensive to, to, on some level it's an expensive thing to, to infuse every level with data and also uh, pay your coaches more than the competition at every level. You got a lot of coaches. You got to hire 30, 40, 50 coaches. If you're paying more than the competition for those coaches, that's 30 times. Are we times. talking about certain teams just from how they train their minor leaguers are spending way more money than other teams? Yes. Yes. The, uh, the Houston Astros uh, have, um, I think, maybe – Ten thousand dollars worth of cameras in every in every in every practice uh, and play facility they have, um, and these are the slow motion edutronic yeah. cameras. So they have t 
$10,000 worth of that in every stadium that they and, and any of their kids play in, any complex they play in. So we're not just talking about the four or five, you know, uh, you know, minor league teams that they have. We're talking about all those complexes they have, all those fields. Each of those fields has has cameras on them, you know. And so just think about what that kind of philosophy is. It's also like, well, I'm going to outbid the A's for our high A hitting coach. I'm going to outbid the A's for our high A pitching coach. I'm going to outbid them for the next one up, the next one up, the next one up. You're talking about 30, 40 pitching coaches, hitting coaches, coordinators, and they're just willing to spend all that money at every level. Well, there is something to be said about certain organizations, and one of them is here today, and the Atlanta Braves and the amount of talent they keep bringing up at such a young age what they're bringing up whether it's from the draft or it's from their international signings you know the dodgers do it all the time it's like like a pipeline like no no one ever viewed no one ever viewed as you mentioned the astros no one ever viewed them as having a great minor league system they just keep bringing guys up look at their rotation their rotation is almost all homegrown guys in verlander luis garcia jose urquidy from Valdez. like they had a new guy hunter brown up the other day yeah. And I think what's happening in Houston and in Atlanta is really interesting. I think they are amazing at scouting. I think that's their number one thing. But they also uh, added Mike Fast, who helped build the Astros' current system and left for Atlanta. So he's been there for a while. So they've taken a lot of those Astros data and tech things, infused an organization that was already very good at scouting. Because if you look at all those guys that, they've, that they're bringing up right now, Vaughn Grissom, Michael Harris, all those guys, Really good scouting was a big part of it, but they're also building a coaching, you know, lineup to coach all those guys all the way up to the big leagues. Here's a guy to me, and I know you got something on uh, Acevedo's slider. What's so interesting is knowing that last year he pitched in 10 games, and now I believe it's at look it up, Cody's at 61 or 62. You want to talk about a dramatic? change now, i know he's got the body and he's a farmer he grew up on a farm and he's a tough kid what does he have 61 61 so you've gone from 10 to 61 appearances yeah the dramatic change on that once again shows you how bullpens without september call-ups are going to be very inter- interesting to see oh, yeah. how you've ridden these guys and you used to have some relief. You don't have that relief. Now you have a limit on how many times you can option them. So Acevedo, fat, just an amazing story. Yeah, I really love it. And uh, Acevedo, and I mentioned Adrian Martinez's changeup. Acevedo's slider and Adrian Martinez's changeup are the strangest, weirdest pitches on this team. And strange is good in pitching. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things where hitters pre- perform on a nightly basis they see certain shapes and the things that are in the middle the easiest shapes are the ones that are the same the average you know it's the things that are weird that they're like man i gotta see that again what was that so uh adrian martinez a change up moves less than his fastball that's weird domingo acevedo slider uh dallas Braden pointed this out to me it it has change up movement it's a backup slider he throws a backup slider on purpose it, nobody else does this. It has so normally when you throw a breaking ball, it breaks to your glove side, you know, and it, everything's like that. If you think about it, slider breaks, curveball breaks that way. His slider breaks that way towards his arm side. So you can say it's a slider by its grip, but its action is more of like a circle change. In which case, he because he has a change, he has a sinker at least. He has like some sort of weird. He just, it's, a, it's a unique pitch, man. I don't know what it is. 
The gyro balls. Yeah, Dice yes, it's the gyro Dice ball. Dice K used to have. Like, how what? They tried to explain it. How do you have a gyro yeah. ball? But in the end, I don't care what Rapsodo, I don't care what the high-tech cameras. Well, I, a lot of the work of Rapsodo and the high-tech cameras but does is, it to, get, but is to, yes, does, does it get it, out? Does it get out? That's but what it, Scott Emerson always says to us, because Scott Emerson has told us about some of these kids. We'll tell you how great their spin rates are. But they don't get outs. Yeah. In the end, you still got – I don't care if you're Ken Holtzman in the 70s just throwing a BP fastball that guys weren't ready for. It's just because he was taking something off his fastball. It acted like a changeup, uh-huh. and guys were out in front popped up. However you do it, it's got to work. Well, I, I'm not arguing against feel. Feel is super important. Command is super important. But I will say that if you're in the bullpen working with these guys, a lot of times the work is just to make their pitches that they have stranger, make them weirder. So make them work. Make them work. Yeah, however you grip it. Because, I mean, if you ever look at Mariano Rivera, how he gripped a slider, that's not how normally you grip, grip yeah. a slider. Yeah. In his, I think he had a decent little career. Yeah. Zach Britton's uh, sinker, it comes from a cutter grip. That crazy power sinker he has. He throws the cutter grip. From a cutter grip. And, that the, and that's another thing, too. Like, back in the day, just thinking a cutter – is just basically taking your two-seam fast, putting it, and just moving it just a little bit. Not even a slider grip, but just moving it a little bit. And the cutter, the movement is just not that different, but it's just different enough. And for some reason, him in the cutter grip and his his slot, it gives you sinker movement. It's the weirdest thing. So I, I bet you Acevedo calls it a slider, and so we'll call it a slider. But but it's really a cha- change of action. sort of weird, yeah, or, or a backup slider, like a hanging slider almost. All right, so we're here. We'll end on this. We're here. It's September. It's coming down. Here are the Braves have basically reeled in the Mets. Yankees are falling apart. I want the Guardians to win so bad because the Guardians play old-school traditional baseball. Make a lot of contact. Uh, You know, will the Dodgers get to 116-plus? There's a lot of – what are you looking forward to the most coming down the stretch here? Uh, I'm interested to see. The Padres had such a, a massive collapse last year. Um, I'm kind of interested in the teams that are collapsing sometimes. Uh, so the Yankees that have let the Rays uh, back in it uh, in their division and the Blue Jays um, and the Padres themselves, you know, in the midst of another slide. It's not the sexiest story, you know, because it's it's sad. But it also is like, what, well, how is this happening? And how is that happening again? And why is it happening? Uh, so, I, you know, I am. it's easier to look at the Braves and say, oh, this is a great young team, really athletic, really great scouting, all coming together, all in their prime ages at the right time. It's, you know, with a great bullpen. It's easier to say why something's good than to be like, why are the Yankees falling apart? That was a team that we thought was going to be with the Dodgers all year. Yeah. You know, so those are the, those are the teams I'm watching, the Yankees, uh, the, the Mets, uh, and uh, the Padres. And this has to end at some point for the Dodgers, right? This can't go on forever. I, you look at their team, and they seem like they're getting older, you know? It, I just started looking at the stats. The guy, the, the red beard who couldn't hit all year long, now just got to figure it out. That's right. I mean, my God, he's leading in longest active hitting streak at 14. He's got the longest active extra base hit streak. I mean, it's just, is this ever going to stop? I mean, they're on a Braves-like run for the Braves from the 90s. They also position the, 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 the defense really, really well. 
Like I, you know, all their pitchers have the lowest batting average on balls in play. They're just they've they've got defense something figured out on defense. Well, enjoy your trip to the Redwoods. I will. It's gonna be a nice little family vacation. Yeah. You're not Short going one. to the beach. You're not sitting by the pool. You're going camping. That's right. That's right. Well, Airbnb camping. <laughs> uh, we like to call that glamping. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Can we play a sponsor, please? The Eno Saris Show is sponsored by Fieldwork Brewing Company. With eight taproom locations in Northern California, Fieldwork brings you fresh craft beer direct from the source. Fieldwork will also ship beer direct to your door if you live in California. Visit fieldworkbrewing.com. Boom. Talk to you next week. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.